0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church.
1: I have never encountered more adventures and more challenges and worked harder in all my trips. On our trip down, we missed our connecting flight in Toronto due to an epic snowstorm in eastern Canada. After being rerouted to Fort Lauderdale, then shuttled wildly to Miami, we narrowly made our connections to Bolivia. Thank you for all of your prayers on our behalf. God guided and protected every one of us from the beginning until the very end. As I reflect back on our time, I believe that John Wesley's quote says it best. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, As long as you ever can. Over two weeks our schedule bursted with purpose and commitments. We did as much good as we could. The first part of our trip was devoted to the seminary where Terry and I had taught for seven years before we came to Winnipeg. It's always a highlight for us to see former students and get the opportunity to teach and work with the present student body. In fact, the partnership that we have as White Ridge Baptist Church with our partners in Bolivia is largely to support the seminary. We're involved with leadership development and spiritual formation. On day one, we attended the inaugural chapel where Terry preached and Augustine shared his testimony. Day two was a great highlight for me we traveled with over 50 staff and students from the seminary to one of my favorite camps, Los Molinos. We spent the the day together with them participating in a spiritual retreat. The theme was Freedom in Christ and I'm gonna allow Amy to tell us more about that later. I love observing cross-cultural communication and relationships and during that day it was wonderful just to see our team connecting with all of the students. Our team was very special and unique to some of the teams I've been with. We had four Spanish speakers, Augustine, Christina, Terry and I, and due to that, I believe that we were able to facilitate some pretty awesome, awesome relationships. At the end of the day, we were able to send a bit of contagion from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Due to Cam Buchanan's connections with the security team we were able to bring over 100 jackets down to Bolivia and gift them to the seminary and here you can see the student body wearing those jackets now I'm going to invite the team to come one by one to share some of their highlights
2: Hi there, Um, I'm Leanne Taves. I just want to start by thanking the church family for your prayers, messages, groceries, and meals that were given to me after the Bolivia trip. As many of you know, I had flu-like symptoms when we were traveling back and got to the point where my temperature and breathing were out of control. Because of what's going on in the world, I got the whole treatment. We're talking hazmat suits. Um, They shut down the airport for me when I got there, an ambulance waiting for me, and I ended up in a comfy isolation cell at uh, the Victoria Hospital. It was quite the ride. I was well taken care of every step of the way and comforted by our father in every moment. Thankfully, I did not have COVID-19, and I'm waiting to hear more from my doctor as to what is going on. Thank you so much for your support. Um, Our trip to Bolivia had so many wonderful aspects and it feels impossible to give you a true glimpse of what God was doing there in us and through us. The closeness we felt as a team was so encouraging and pretty amazing. Uh, One of the notable things for me in Bolivia was seeing Casa de Amistad, which is a program for kids whose parents are in prison. It provides meals, loving staff, and a place to do homework while parents are in jail and or working. I was so encouraged talking to some of the ladies who worked there. Carla, who runs the CASA, was an amazing example of a woman who was where God had called her to be and where her talents were being used so well. As a trained psychologist, she left a promising career to be be at CASA full-time and work day in and day out with some of the most vulnerable children in Cochabamba. Because I am a correctional officer, Carla was able to take me into the prison that was just across the street from the Casa where many of the dads of the kids lived. Um, I have many mixed emotions as being in a prison feels very normal to me. Um, the obvious poverty of not enough beds and overcrowding was on a different level than Canada, but other aspects like the drug trade, prisoner mentality, and the hierarchy was strangely simil- similar. In Bolivia, your family can visit and stay on weekends and some evenings. From my knowledge of what goes on inside prison, it was unsettling to see this, knowing all the dangers these families would be exposed to when visiting. It was pretty encouraging to see Carla and other CASA workers interact with the inmates, no matter what their crime was, to better develop relationships to support the kids. I'm thankful for the renewed perspective on what God has for me in my work here in Canada. Thank you.
3: Good morning. I'm Amy, and I'm from England, not Winnipeg, and I've lived in Winnipeg for just over a year. For me, a very special part of our trip to Bolivia was the retreat day we had with the seminary students. On this day, I taught about captivity and how we find freedom in Christ. The subject matter came from my own personal experience of stepping out of captivity and into Christ's freedom. I've lived through one traumatic event after another in my life, and these things bound me in chains for many years. But a few years ago, God drew me out of that place and set me free. This experience led me to start writing a course on freedom in Christ, which I will be teaching in freedom, at Freedom International, which is a school for refugees downtown. Terry and Pat were looking for a theme for the retreat, and I felt encouraged by God to share the work I've been doing and suggested we do it on freedom. I can't lie, it was an exhausting experience. The day itself was full of nerves for me, as I've never done anything like this before, and I'd never shared the work that I've been doing before either. And when you have Pastor Terry in the audience taking notes, it's a bit intimidating. I also needed to put a lot of my own story into the day. It was important that people would know that what I was saying was based on a personal experience of God's healing power. But that meant going through a lot of very personal and emotional material. By the end of the day, I felt tired but elated. We'd all had some encouraging conversations with the students in the breakaway discussion groups that we had had, and there was a real sense of people opening up to each other. I think the most significant thing I took from the day was when five days after the retreat, one of the students came to find me and asked if he could speak with me. With Pat translating, he shared his own story of captivity and a desire to find freedom in Christ. We talked for a long time, and I was able to share some more of my own story that connected with his. We prayed and swapped contact details and were now WhatsApp buddies. He has since told me that it was hearing my own story and teaching that day that gave him the confidence that God could set him free too, and that is a gift I will cherish forever.
4: My name is Agustin and Matthew 5, 13 says that we are the salt of the air. In, in Bolivia, our team we couldn't see uh, how the Christians are being the salt of the air and in different way and different uh, projects. But let me tell you something about Proyecto Emanuel. Proyecto Emanuel is helping prostitute children. They give you support and secular education. They give you food at least twice a day. And also, they have to deal or fight with the brother owner to allow to the children mostly the girls to allow the project but there are, there were two things that in Padman like one of these is they are making a lot of things with a really really short budget are a lot of uh, they have uh, too much responsibilities and and another thing it seems that for me the most important part is they are sharing the love of God. but let me add you two things two facts first, In Canada, it's easy to share the the, the love of God because we have everything. We have everything, and but could you imagine that Christian had to help these children that no hope, no future, no nothing for them? So how difficult is for them to share God and learn him, teach her that God is good, God is love? So. After the trip, I have two goals to, in my life. One is pray for these Christians that encourage them to keep going for this ministry and keep for these children to be allowed to be something in the society, and be a good Christian too. But the second one is start to be in the solidarity in my community. Thank you.: Good
5: morning. I'm Christina, and I had the opportunity to be part of this trip. It was a real blessing to be able to be able to go with this team and, and have these experiences with them as well. On this trip, one of the places God directed my attention wherever we went was to the people we were working with, whether they were the min- missionaries or the staff or volunteers working with different ministries. While they were all from different places with different backgrounds and stories, the thing that kept showing up in each one that we talked with was their incredibly deep love for God and their desire to show him more. And this came out in the way that we worked, they worked with the people around them. It became clear that because of their love for God and the way they are seeking after him, that God is showing them the way he sees the people around them, and they're acting on it. Let me give you a few examples from people that we were able to interact with. The picture on the screen is Patty and Goretti. Patty was our host while we were in Bolivia, the person who was with our team most, and Goretti was our driver as well as the director of the ministry, Augustine was talking about, Fundacion Emmanuel. Both of them are incredible women and went out of their way so many times to make sure we were cared for and had everything we needed. But the real reason they stood out for me was their faith. Both women sought after Jesus, sought to see him glorified, and show him and his love to the people around them above anything else. And this is so much more than words. This is the way that both of them live. Both Patty and Goretti have left significantly higher paying professional careers to follow God calling them into these places of mission, into these, these hard places where he's asked them to show his love in really personal and deep ways. Another person I'm going to talk about we don't have a picture of, but her name is Carla. She's the director of Casa de la Amistad, and Leanne talked a little bit about her. We had the opportunity to talk with her as well as some of the staff there a little bit. She is a person who lives out God's love toward the kids that she works with in a really real down-to-earth way even though she's not a mother herself she is a mother to each of these kids over 100 kids who come through her doors every day checking in on each one advocating for them speaking up for them encouraging them and affirming them showing them with each hug each word of encouragement that they have value that they are children of god and that they are so loved because of the way she walks with jesus personally she's able to see these kids as god sees them instead of the way the world around them sees them and love them so fiercely and completely as a result. She's another one who didn't intend to be working with this ministry long-term when she started, um, thinking she'd only be there for a short while, but she listened when God asked her to stay, to leave the career that she had done before. And since then, she's been with CASA for years and has had the blessing of having a huge impact on so many children and families. So these are a few of the people who God used to challenge and encourage me while we were there. Um, in what it looks like to live with a missions mindset to seek to know God well enough that I can see the way he sees the people around me and then I can have the boldness to step out and act on this whether it's as large scale as some of these stories or as small scale as the people in my circles already thank you for the opportunity to be able to be part of this team and for your prayers as well
6: Um, Hi, I'm Sheila Taylor. Um, Terry would like to show this photo, but I was only smiling because Rennie was going to get in trouble for taking the photo, so (laughs) Um, thankfully we didn't get into any trouble. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about my experience with the Chagas Disease Prevention Project in the rural and mountainous region in Miske. I loved having the opportunity to see this beautiful part of Bolivia up close. Driving up the mountain was quite the experience with the switchback turns and steep drop-offs that had me praying for safety many times over the hour and a half trip. But on our way home, God placed peace in my heart and I began to look past the fear and into the wonder of experiencing his presence and the beauty that he created. This was my holy ground moment of the trip. I spent much of each drive in sessions of prayer and worship. I was so incredibly thankful for this time to reflect and to spend time in prayer. I have a little video to show of our hike. Um, after our hour and a half drive, our project site was then a 40 minute hike up the mountain. So it was not just a walk, we climbed some steep and narrow trails on that mountainside. The children of our family, of our project family do that same hike every day to school and back on their own. This hike I did for three days is their reality every day, good weather and bad. Many homes are made out of adobe bricks, and which is the cheapest way to build when you have very little income, and this is why Chagas disease is present, as the vinchuca beetle that spreads Chagas lives in the walls and the roofs of adobe homes. The easy fix is to plaster the walls and pour concrete floors, but families can't afford to buy the construction materials required to do this step to protect themselves. So this is where the Chagas project comes in and supports families. It was incredibly hard to see that level of, of poverty there. Our project family had four kids, age one to seven, and when they arrived home from school that first day, they were so shy and so quiet, and I had to work hard to draw them out. We bonded over crafts and stickers, and by day three, the kids were running home from school, and somehow we had eight kids at our house instead of four. But being able to be there to spend time with them and give them extra love and bring them a little bit of joy and laughter was so incredibly special. God blesses us so we can be a blessing to others. And I was so happy that our team was able to bring supplies and be a part of this project to help this family be safe. I don't think this family even knew how much they have blessed and inspired us in return. This young and hardworking couple raising kids and living on a rural mountainside with so many hardships and little income is inspiring. Even though there is so much poverty and darkness in Bolivia, there was so much light, too. And it was wonderful being able to share the light, the love of God, to others in Bolivia. But God also worked in each of us to see the light and to see him working in those dark situations. Thank you.
7: Good morning. My name is Renny. I will talk a little bit more about Achaga's disease as well. I just lost my notes so I'll just go by, by memory. Um, the Chagas disease comes out of, out of the uh, vinchuca bug uh, that Sheila was mentioning. It lives in the walls of the houses and uh, it, it comes out at night. It's also known as a kissing disease, by the way. It comes out at night when people are sleeping, mainly in a rural area, and it takes um, gives you a kiss or it takes a bite out of you. And as it does that, it leaves a little bit of dropping, and, it, you know, and of course, it's a bug bite. It's itchy, so you want to scratch yourself, and that's when you can potentially rub the uh, the droppings of the insect into your your system. For most people, uh, the, the the reaction is uh, slight headache, feverish, uh, aching bones for a little while, and and that's where that's where it ends. But for others, uh, it can get very much more serious, and and it can take up to 30 years before you get the full implication of this, uh, of this infection, uh, which is uh, you'll get the uh, enlargement of your intestine, your esophagus, excuse me, or, um, or your heart, and it can lead to, to, to the end of your life. In uh, 9, 2017, it's estimated that there were 7,900 deaths in Mexico, Central America, and South America from this disease. So part part of the work that goes on to uh, slow down this disease, uh, like we see a picture of Jaime, he's the coordinator in, our, uh, in, in Bolivia, the, the, the area we were in to um, work at helping at preventing this this disease. so like uh, Sheila pointed out, we, we tracked out to some homes, two homes, there was two teams and and it was quite the track to get to these places and I'm telling you these places are not uh, um, at least I would want to live, to be honest with you guys. Uh, it's very plain. It's just a four wall structure with a door. And and what we did, we plastered the inside and in and, and one of the homes we worked in and uh, poured concrete on the cement floor. And that was a three day event to go back and forth through that trail. And, uh, but at the end of the day, what I want to focus on is, is that family. Nazario and his kids, you know, we were just there we did a little bit of work for them, and and for them it was as if they've won a million bucks, really. They were so at awe and so grateful to God that we, uh, we had come all this way and to help them and, and repair their home so they have a little bit of a better uh, place to live in, although it's, uh, it was still pretty raw and bare. But uh, at the end when he was praying, you could see in his face the, uh, the excitement and the joy that... Uh, god is with them god is supporting them it's it's just phenomenal and meanwhile they have you know very little thank you
8: uh my name is jeff um since uh Renny already talked a little bit about, about uh chagas and the uh work we were doing in the house i'm going to speak a little bit about the work on the house i did um, the uh, the house that, I, that my team worked on uh, was also used as a church every other Sunday by the local community. So that made the work feel a little more worthwhile as uh, we knew it was going to be used to share the gospel as well. Uh, it wasn't a Baptist church, but uh, it's, it's still a church. Um, As we were working uh, on this house made of uh, mud bricks, uh, corrugated steel roof and a dirt floor with no plumbing, uh, I noticed there was a pole with a solar panel on top and the panel was connected to a small battery bank and there was an iPhone charger coming out of it. Um, So even if if you're a farmer in the mountains of Bolivia, you can still be up to date on uh, everything that's going on in the world. Um, there's very few people left that are not uh, connected. Um, we were told about the poverty in Bolivia before we went, and uh, because I was expecting it to be so bad, uh, when we got there it actually didn't didn't seem as bad. Um, I think it seemed like this because uh, I knew I could leave when I wanted. Uh, for me it was only temporary. I didn't have to live it, I was just an observer. and. Uh, made their poverty seem to me almost like a bit of a novelty. Um, I don't think it feels the same way for them. Uh, The the hike we went on to get to our house in Miska every day was uh, pretty beautiful. It was kind of on the side of a valley between two mountains. Um, If if I was stuck living there, I don't think I would have enjoyed it the same way. there are, uh, there are way too many things from our two weeks in Bolivia to cover in two minutes, but uh, if any of you have thought about uh, going on a short-term mission trip before and just haven't for whatever reason, I would highly recommend that you uh, give it a shot. Thanks.
9: Good morning. My name is Debbie and uh, I want to talk about the team. When the announcement in church was made that we would be sending a team to Bolivia again, I knew I had to be on that team. There are many reasons for that. As you have heard, I want to tell you one of the reasons that, um, it, that I feel really strongly about. The team. To be a part of the team that the Lord puts together is a very special opportunity. And this team was that, very special. Individually, we have less to offer than we do when we put our gifts and talents together as a team. God requires reverence, respect, love for Him, and wholehearted service. This is what I saw in the members of our team. Leanne, I really loved the time I spent with her. She has a story to tell, and I was impressed with her passion for the Lord. To hear Leanne speak to the Lord in prayer was a gift for me. Her concern for us was real, and I appreciated the support she often gave me. Rennie. Getting to know Rennie was so much fun, as he is. Oops, sorry. Getting to know Rennie was so much fun, but as much fun as he is, he is also very caring, kind, and he never gave up. His gift to the team was his enthusiasm and his positive attitude. I was blessed by the love I saw when he was with the children. Amy, at times I thought this trip was too hard for her, but I was so wrong when I saw her determination to get things done. She was so great at helping get the medical room cleaned and readied and wasn't at all at all at peace until it was done. I was blessed by her stories and her laugh. Augustine, Having a doctor with us on the team was quite obviously a blessing but what I appreciated about Augustine was his gentleness and his willing to step up and translate for for me so that I could communicate with those that I would otherwise not have a chance to. Christina is wise beyond her years. Her appreciation for the culture we experienced was wonderful to witness. I loved that her face lit up when she was taking on a task, especially with the children. Jeff. It was a pleasure to have Jeff on the team because it was like having my own son with me. I loved watching Jeff as he experienced the Lord at work around us and to witness his desire to work hard to get the job done. Every team should have Jeff on it. Sheila. I had the pleasure of working closely with Sheila as we prepared crafts and entertainment for the children. I teared up several times when I saw how she looked at the children. It was as if God himself was smiling at at them. Sheila offered great patience as she helped me through some difficult moments. Pat and Terry. I've worked with Pat and Terry on separate occasions, but this time I had a chance to work with both of them together. They are great leaders. Terry always focusing on serving the Lord and maintaining respect for each other. Pat, widening our appreciation for culture and maintaining a focus on the project. It was wonderful to see them work as a couple as they explored Bolivia once again together. Myself, although this was a hard trip for me, it was wonderful in so many ways. I thank the Lord for this team that supported me in serving the Lord and allowed me the pleasure of working with them. I will cherish the memories. Thank you.
0: and um, I had the privilege of going uh, with the team as well to Bolivia, my name's Terry Jenk. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, just had Kevin help me with a, a glitch, thanks Kevin. <laughs> um, of course, uh, as Pat said, it's a privilege for us to go back to the place where we serve to connect with the seminary students, and uh, we had the chance to see many seminary students as well as our uh, compassion child that we uh, visited. His name is Isaias, and we saw him and his father. He's in that middle picture there. And of course, other colleagues that we know. Um, We also have the privilege of delivering many of the books that we took down from Gospel Coalition Packing Hope Project and uh, gave them to the professors, the students, and pastors of Cochabamba, as well as the two laptop computers that uh, Bob Van and donated. And that's Raul, who is a former student of ours that is now uh, the professor of spiritual formation that lives on campus with the students. And uh, so that was a blessing. But, you know, I can't uh, say enough how it was the team itself, like Debbie was talking about, that was especially the blessing to me. this is a picture of us praying for leanne when she was uh, not well but i can tell you that there were several that took that same chair <laughs> throughout the, the two weeks and we prayed over them and um, this team exceptionally in many ways had a bonding that shared deeper stuff with each other than i have seen in most teams and i thank the lord for that and so again it was a persuasion upon me i was persuaded that that mission teams really do make a difference, that they count, that it's a global discipleship that takes place. We see so much that we learn about our own faith journey, and we have the opportunity to perhaps, perhaps be used by God in the lives of others. And uh, I want to thank those who were filling the pulpit while I was gone, uh, Pastor Kevin Clausen, Steve Morris, and Azer Lulden, and uh, it was a little longer away from the pulpit than I normally would have because of the self-isolation but we're glad to be back and uh, indeed these are exceptional times and uh, we've been trying to communicate with our church family through the various means that we have and I'm so grateful for all the people that are in that system of communication that make it happen and some of that communication will go out on our Facebook on our web page that's going to be to anybody and some of the other communication will just be to our church family as we talk about in-house things and so Stay tuned this week for some of that as well. And um, so this morning as we continue on, we want to go back into the book of Genesis. And we've been in Genesis for some weeks now, and we're talking about uh, Abraham in recent weeks. and. Tonight, or today I'd like to talk about uh, how it is that Abraham, because of the content that we have in the Bible about his life, we have more opportunity to kind of peer into his devotional life, his faith journey, and to see over a long period of time just how it is that his faith grows. And as we look at Abraham, there are two, two lessons that jump out of the page at me. I'm going to talk about the means and the measures that God uses to mature our faith this morning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 17. And the two, two lessons that jump off the page at me are that, first of all, maturing in faith happens over time. And secondly, that maturity in faith happens through faith tests. And these are faith tests that sometimes God designs, and they're faith tests sometimes that God simply allows, and they're faith tests that sometimes we pass, and they're faith tests that sometimes we fail. We see all of that in Abraham's life. And so this morning, as we look at this scripture, I'm going to take a moment to just read from the beginning of the chapter that we're considering this morning in Genesis chapter 17. And I'm going to ask you to remain seated here in this auditorium as well as at home as I read God's word for us today. Genesis chapter 17 and beginning in verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham." For I am made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is the word of God to us today. Amen. As we look at um, this scripture and others, I want to begin by having a a kind of an overview of the life of Abraham, just to to begin way up at 30,000 feet. And we get an advantage when we look at Hebrews chapter 11, that famous Uh, chapter the hall of fame of the many in the old testament that it recounts now normally in hebrews chapter 11 beginning with abel and going all the way to the prophets normally one story is shared about that individual's life can you imagine having to sum up your whole spiritual journey in life with just one story but in the case of abraham we have three stories Three really significant moments in the, in the faith journey of Abraham. <clears throat> there is, first of all, the uprooting of his faith in Genesis chapter 12, recounted in Hebrews 11:8. 8. That's when God said, Leave your father and the religions of your forefathers and go to the land that I will show you uprooting faith. Secondly, there is that time where he is waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, waiting for Isaac to be born. This is a waiting faith. Genesis chapter 15, uh, 17, 18, all the way till the time he is born. Hebrews 11, 11. And then then there's this incredible sacrificial faith when God asks him to actually give up this son that he has waited so long for. And then, of course, we know that at the end, when he's willing to do so, God gives Isaac back to him. So there is these three kinds of faith. There is an uprooting faith, a waiting faith, and a sacrificing faith. If you had to choose three moments of your life journey and describe them, what would they tell you or us about your faith? three critical moments in your life journey? Would they they reveal a robust faith? Would they reveal a fragile faith? And if you were to reflect on your relationship with God and think about these three kinds of faith, have there been times in your life when you were asked to, to demonstrate an uprooting faith, when God disoriented you and your surroundings and asked you to do something bold? do you you have a time in your life when God maybe had just you in the waiting stage maybe for many of us in this world right now with the COVID-19 virus we're in a waiting stage of faith test and has God ever asked you to give over and to give up something that you dearly loved and was precious to you and a sacrificial faith Well, the thing that's interesting about the story of Abraham's life, as it's told in the scriptures, is that not only do we have these faith markers of critical turning points in his life, but we actually have his age when he did those turning points. And so we have the opportunity to follow the timelines of his maturity in faith. And so let's take a look at it briefly. In chapter 12, verse 4, we read that he's 75 years old when God first calls him. In chapter 15, he's probably around 80 years old when God makes his covenant with him. In chapter 16, verse 16, we're told that he's 86 years old when Ishmael is born. The very next verse, the next chapter in chapter 17, verse 1, he is 99 years old when God appears to him next. Chapter 21, verse 5, we know that Abraham is 100 years old when when Isaac is born. And chapter 22, verse 6, he's probably about 120 years old when God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. Now, how do we extrapolate that age? Well, in chapter 21, verse 8, we read in the Bible that Isaac had grown and was weaned from his mother before that event in chapter 21 verse 34 it says that Abraham had lived many days in the land of the Philistines many days and then in chapter 22 verse 6 when they're on their way to this moment where God is going to ask Abraham to sacrifice his son it says in chapter 22 verse 6 that God asked Abraham Abraham put the wood on Isaac's shoulders so he was not a wee little boy at the time and then in chapter 23, verse 1, we read that Sarah died at the age of 127. So what am I saying in all of this? I'm saying that probably Isaac was of the age between 10 and 37 years of age, somewhere in there. The historian Josephus says that, that um, Isaac was about 25 years old when Abraham went. Not changes the perspective we have about the Abraham-Isaac story found in chapter 22. Abraham dies in chapter 25, verse 7, at the age of 175. So here we have it, folks. We have a span of 100 years between the age of 75, his first call, to the age of 175 when he dies. And in that 100 years of walking with God, we see many things that are are a backdrop to help us understand the different stages of his maturity. So where would we place the spiritual development of Abraham when we open up our Bibles to the chapter that I read in chapter 17 and verses 1 the following? Where do we place the spiritual development of Abraham? I would like to propose to you that we see a man in that stage emerging from a spiritual adolescence and becoming a young man of faith. Yes, he was old in age, but I propose that he was young in faith in chapter 17 of Genesis. And I wanna demonstrate why. Before we move along, I wanna remind you of a verse that the Apostle John helps us understand in 1 John chapter two. And John is talking about the different levels of spiritual maturity. And he talks about little children, and he talks about young men, and he talks about fathers. And to, to the young men, he says in chapter two, verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So that's some of the signs of being a young, growing man or woman in your faith. You are strong, the word of God lives in you, you are able to overcome the evil one. I think that's where we see Abraham in chapter 17 of Genesis. After having just come out of chapter 16, when we see the adolescent faith of a man who was willing to take things into his own hands and think that he had to fulfill the promise of God when he acted independent. Of God's promise, and he slept with his wife's maidservant, Hagar, and they brought forth a child together named Ishmael, and clearly, as Azar spoke of last week, it was not in God's plan. We see now 13 years of silence between God and Abraham, 13 years of social isolation between God and Abraham, between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17, 13 years And so we see a different man emerge after those 13 years. Now, if we were to unpack chapter 17 in a purely exegetical way, the author has already given us some clues as to how he'd do it. He would start with saying, talk about God in chapter 17, verse 2. He's introduced, I am God Almighty. Then he would say, talk about Abraham in chapter 17, verse 9, because God says, as for you, Abraham... And then he would say, talk about Sarah when you get to verse 20, because he says, as for you, Sarah. And then talk about Ishmael when you get to chapter 17, verse, verse 20. Chapter 17, 15 with Sarah. Chapter 17, 20 with Ishmael. And he says, and as for Ishmael. So that's the kind of the outline that the author is giving us. But what I wanna do is, we don't have time for all that, so we're gonna focus on Abraham. We're gonna focus on the spiritual development of Abraham as a young man of God in his faith, though he's an old man in years. Remember, these days that Abraham and Sarah lived in are the days before all of recorded scripture. There is no Bible such as we have that Abraham and Sarah had. They had no scripture they could turn to and say, oh, God wants us to do this. God wants us to live this way. They didn't have that. Instead, what they had was they had appearances which, as we will talk about next week, were not really appearances of God because no man can see God and live. They were rather kind of manifestations of God. They had visions and they had voices every so often. And not that often, folks. We have only about eight in the entire hundred years of, of what we know about Abraham, The first time that God appeared to Abraham is chapter 12. Leave your land and go to the land I'll show you. He leaves, chapter 12, verse 7. We see that God appeared to him in Canaan, and he built an altar there. We see a little later on that he goes into the hill country, and he builds another altar there as God appears to him. And remember, God has promised that he's going to make out of Abraham a great nation, chapter 15 Verse 1, and the word of the Lord appears to Abram in a vision, and God shows him again. He makes a covenant with him, but Abram says, well, I haven't yet seen any heir. There's no offspring in my life. I'm getting older. And then in chapter uh, 16, we see that incident where he decides to listen to his wife Sarah and follow through on a plan that was not what God wanted. And at the end of chapter 16, as I said, he's 86 years old when Ishmael is born. And the next chapter opens 13 years later. And in those 13 years, we don't know what God and Abraham were doing. But I want to identify that when we see this new Abraham emerge in chapter 17, I want to tell you about four signs of maturity that we see in Abraham that I believe you should look for in your own life if you want to track your spiritual maturity. And the first sign of spiritual maturity that we see is a new posture before God. Notice it in chapter 17 and a new posture in verse 3. It says that Abraham fell on his face before God. Now, I don't know about you, but you, if you've been following the life of Abraham, I have seen a religious man, he builds altars. I have seen an obedient man who says, okay, I'll go where you tell me to go, God. But I tell you, I have not seen a man who falls on his face before his God until this chapter. okay. It's a signal of a new attitude and a new posture before God. Friends, you will know, you will know, if you are stepping into a new season of your spiritual maturity, when you humble yourself and you develop a new attitude and a new posture before God. You will know it from the inside out that God is beginning to reveal himself to you and you cannot do anything but fall on your face before this loving God. And like Abraham, it might come, I'm just saying it might, it might come after you have miserably failed one of your faith tests. Because that's what happened in Abraham's life. He had miserably failed a faith test. Chapter 16, and there was a a cold and long silence and distance between him and God. And the man that emerges out of that is a man that has a new posture, a new attitude before God. Maybe you can say you've experienced that. Maybe you have gone through a faith test that you've failed. Maybe you needed to be humbled in some way before you were going to have this new posture before God. A second second sign of this maturing in Abraham's faith journey comes as we see him get a new identity from God. Notice verse 5 that Abraham, God says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. From Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. The change seems almost insignificant to me. And I believe that the meaning of the change is more in the fact of the change, that God gives him a new name, not in the meaning of the words. In fact, we see that even more with Sarah, for you'll notice that in verse 15, it goes from Sarai to Sarah, and in both cases the hebrew word of those the hebrew meaning of those two words is princess sarah was a princess sarai and sarah you see the point is that i don't think the the significance was in the name but in the identity that that name gave Abraham and Sarah and the fact that it marked the occasion of moving into a covenant relationship with God, moving into a new posture, moving into a new season with God. Now, I I know that here at White Ridge Baptist Church, we we don't change our names every time we get to a new level of spiritual maturity. That would really be confusing for Kathy with the church directory. You know, hi, Fred, how you doing? Oh, no, my my name's not Fred. My name's Frederick. It wouldn't work that way, would it? No, the point is that it's not the name itself that's so significant. We may not get a different name in our spiritual steps toward maturity, but we should get a new identity, a new identity. We will stop defining ourselves by our past, by our parents, by our mistakes, by our human tendencies, by the attitude that says, well, I guess this is as good as it gets in life and settle. No, you'll stop doing that. You'll start taking on a new identity when God becomes bigger in your eyes and you become less, and you'll start to take on a new identity. It may not be a new name, but it's a new identity. And that's why we sing the songs that Kevin led us in this morning. I'm no longer, what, a slave to sin. I am a child of God. That's a new identity. But folks, it doesn't matter if God says that about you, if you don't say that about yourself. It doesn't matter if we sing the songs every Sunday, and you you don't have ears to hear, and you don't have a heart to receive, and you aren't putting your two feet firmly on a new identity. It doesn't make a difference. And so a second sign of a new, a new identity with God, and a maturing, is that new identity. Thirdly, a sign of maturing in, Dave, in Abraham's faith is, is this relationship, a new relationship with God. And so... I'm sorry, I'm getting behind on my PowerPoint here. So many things to think about. (laughs) The third one is a a new relationship or covenant with God. The Bible uses the word covenant to describe the relationship that individuals have with God at different stages throughout the entire biblical history. Adam had a unique relationship with God, the first man. Noah had a unique covenant with God. Moses and the people of Israel had a unique covenant. David had a covenant with God. All the way through the Bible until we get to the New Testament, which is called the New Covenant. And in Jesus Christ and ratified on the cross of Jesus Christ, the the new covenant was, was given, and we as followers and believers in Jesus Christ and what his blood accomplished at the cross of Calvary, we are invited into a new relationship with God. It's a covenant relationship. And just like any relationship of value, a covenant is a very personal thing. And it was unique to whomever God made it with. And he always gave a sign of the covenant as well. In each covenant that God gave throughout biblical history, there is a sign of the covenant. Now in chapter 15, the portion that Steve preached a couple of weeks ago, we read in verse 18 that it says that on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. So the question I have for you is, what are we doing in chapter 17? Didn't God already make this covenant with Abraham? Yes, he did, but then there was chapter 16. <laughs> we all know what happened there. And so God, in chapter 17, is reaffirming, reminding Abraham of this covenant relationship. And God simply reaffirms that he's still planning on making Abraham into a great nation, though no heir has come yet. And what is the sign of that covenant? The sign of the covenant that God gives Abraham is circumcision. The word circumcision literally means to cut around. It is all males in the family line of Abraham were to be circumcised. You can't get more personal than that. And it involved the removing of the foreskin on all males. But it symbolized the removal of of the old life in fact I wonder if God didn't give the covenant sign in chapter 15 but waited until chapter 17 because he knew what was going to happen in chapter 16 and he's going to remind Abraham now you need to leave that independent life behind where you think you can fulfill the promises of God for your life in your own strength no you're going to leave that behind that's what happens in circumcision something's left behind that's why God says in the scriptures in Deuteronomy 10, uh, in, in Romans chapter 2, that we talk, it talks about the circumcision of the heart. Where, we, where our hearts that are cluttered with false, smaller gods, we leave them behind and we say, God, I'm going to have pure devotion to you. And so... I want to ask you in your maturity and faith like Abraham's. I want to suggest to you it will be marked with a new relationship with God as well. It'll be marked by a new posture before God and a new and a new attitude toward God. It will be marked with a new identity and name from God. It'll be marked by a new relationship with God. A new intimacy a new vulnerability, a new tenderness. It involves a deepening relationship with God in this new covenant relationship that you have because you have put faith in Jesus. And by faith you increasingly leave behind the old as every day you have the opportunity to circumcise your heart, cutting off everything that gets in the way and living in pure devotion to God. Finally, I want to suggest that the fourth sign of, of, sorry, if you could go back to the uh, fourth sign, lastly, the sign of maturity that we see in Abraham is one of a new and fresh obedience that seems to be done out of devotion and not out of duty. Do you know, do you know the difference between glad obedience and sad obedience (laughs) I know the difference I've experienced the difference between a glad obedience and a sad obedience and I believe that in in the fourth sign of maturity in in Abraham's faith is that he goes from perhaps what was a sad obedience to a glad obedience notice chapter 17 verse 22 when he had finished talking with him God went up from Abraham and Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his household or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him I know it seems to me that Abraham's obedience now is swift it is total and it is voluntary it seems to me that there is no hedging about here there is no bartering with God there's no delaying with God he obeys God because I think he's starting to become convinced that God has his best interests in mind and so we experience such signs of maturity as well when we learn to trust God that he's got our best in mind Next week, we're gonna see even more signs of maturity that Abraham experiences. And one of the key signs of maturity next week that we're gonna talk about is that this man of God that is growing into the faith that God's called him to is starting to become a praying man whose prayers are powerful and effective as we see him intercede on behalf of his nephew Lot and the place where he lives in Sodom, Sodom. Remember the verse I shared with you earlier in First John two, verse fourteen. John writes, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do you know I have I can relate to Abraham because there, there was a time when I believed and I was still so, so very immature in my faith when I believed. But then there was a time when God took me through a faith test that I failed. And it was right in the aftermath of that faith test that I believe God took me out of a spiritual adolescence into becoming a young man of faith where I began to see that indeed I was strong in, in God, I was The word of God was living in me. And I could overcome the evil one in the power of Christ. (laughs) I uh, want to ask you a few questions as we conclude. I want to ask you, first of all, where would you place your own spiritual development as of right now? Where would you put it? What do you think God... <clears throat> would say about your spiritual development today? And, 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 and in light of that, what would you want to say to God about your own spiritual development? Then also, I would ask you, is there anything about Abraham that surprises you? And in the same way, is there anything about your own spiritual life that surprises you? I would ask you today, as well as you reflect on the message, have you ever been set on a plan that was not in God's plan? I mean, God, Abraham was convinced that Ishmael is the one that will be his heir and the nations will be developed through Ishmael. And when God came along and said, no, it's not Ishmael, Abraham was completely confounded. He was set on a plan that was not God's plan. Have you ever been set on a plan that was not God's plan? It's hard to move off-center, isn't it? And then finally, I want to ask you kind of in, a, in an inventory kind of way, How would you describe your posture, your attitude, as well as your identity and your relationship and your obedience to God today? Let me pray for you as uh, we have the worship team come and conclude our service. Father, I thank you for those that have listened to this message today. And I pray that you might be pleased to speak into our lives wherever we are in the continuum of maturing in faith. I pray that you will speak into our lives a message that will help us to take the next steps so that we might indeed, Lord, be ready when you come, when you call, speak to our hearts, watch over each household, each family. We pray in Jesus' name,
4: amen.